0: Amen. Our text this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. I invite you to read this along with me aloud from the board as we read it together. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for when you have for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So then your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, you do see us in the secret. You know our hearts better than even we do. You know our minds and our thoughts, you know even this morning the sinful perhaps even divisive ways that we have thought and perhaps even spoken this morning. Lord, you know the insufficiencies and the weaknesses the times that we have been had lack of faith, the times we have questioned, doubting questions this week with all the news. You know that we have in some ways given our lives over and our hearts over to mischief and different things. And yet, Lord, we now come to you and we submit ourselves this morning to your word. We haven't come to have our ears tickled. We haven't come to have our sinful minds and hearts confirmed or strengthened, but Lord, we have come to give our hearts to you and to learn how this week we can make changes in our lives that will make us more like Jesus Christ. And so, Father, this morning, as we look at pursuing holiness, we. We ask you to mend our hearts and give us new thoughts and new direction. Lord, help us not to be satisfied with the successes of the past, whatever they may have been. But Lord, help us to look forward. Help us to lean upon your guidance and leading now. And Lord, help us to be submissive to your word. Father, I pray that you would move me aside. We beg you, Lord, that we need your divine truth to help us, to change us, and make us more like you. Lord, you haven't called the politicians to fix our world. You haven't called the schools or, the, or any of that. You've called the church to preach the gospel. And I pray that we would be faithful in that. That everything we do would be in a, in a way seeking to further your kingdom through the gospel. Your kingdom is not spread by gun or sword or legislation. There is no vote that can put you in charge or take you off your throne. You are God. And Lord, we submit to you this morning I pray that you would speak your word to us and that you would move us by your spirit to be more like your son to your eternal glory it is in your name we pray amen amen as you're sitting down I would invite you to turn in your copy of God's word to Matthew chapter 6 this morning Matthew chapter 6 and if you do not have your own copy of God's Word and you want to use the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can find that on page 964 of that Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 or page 964 in the uh, in the Bible, in the pew Bible in front of you. And again, I just want to uh, just kind of begin by uh, sharing with you something that happened last night. We were, uh, Roxanne had gone out with a couple of the girls. They were basically gone all day. And and when she came, she had told me earlier that, uh, Randy, I want you to take me on a date tonight. And so I said, okay, and why don't you, have a, why don't you go have a good time? And uh, well, of course, we thought they were just going to the local Goodwill and they would be back in an hour. Come to find out, they traveled all over Arkansas to several Goodwills, I think they ended up in Jacksonville. There was even some thought of going to Fayetteville, if I'm not mistaken. And so, uh, so basically, Roxanne was kidnapped yesterday. So, um, so I was really wondering if the date was going to happen. And uh, around four o'clock, I hadn't eaten lunch yet. I had taken Colton to the pool and and he said, I'm hungry. And I was like, you know, I'm hungry too. And I kind of looked on my phone to see where Roxanne was and she was still deep in Jacksonville. And so I'm like, you know what? There's no way she's gonna get home in time for our date. So we went by Arby's and they have this new Wagyu bacon cheeseburger. Oh my, (laughs) <laughs> what a treat, you know, and I thought, all right, this is awesome, you know, and, um, and so anyway, so we ate lunch about four o'clock in the afternoon. Roxanne gets home about six, and she says, are you ready to go on our date? I'm starved, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, where do you want to go? And she said, you know, we love that steakhouse up in Southside. Let's go there. And I'm like, oh, man. Okay, so we went and um, had one of the best burgers in my life, but I was pretty stuffed. And so, you know, do you remember when you were kids and your parents would always tell you, "Don't pick in the cookie jar" or, or "Don't eat candy," because what are you going to do? You're going to ruin your dinner. Or what? Uh, or what? My grandmother would say, "You're ruin your dinner." I can't even say it like she used to say it. You're going to ruin your dinner. Run your dinner. I can't even say that. You know, there's a principle in life that you oftentimes what's happening in our lives is that we are not sacrificing good things for bad things, but what we are doing is we are sacrificing the best things for good things. Isn't that true in our lives? Isn't that what we often do? That, you know, yes, I know there's something better down the road. But I'm hungry right now. I want this right now. You know, what is it from uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Don't care how I want it now. You do what you do. I want what I want when I want it. And when I want it, it better be here. I actually have a song, a little jingle. I want what I want when I want it And when I want it, it better be here, you know. (laughs) Isn't that what we do often? And we sacrifice the best things for the things that are really just good. So my prayer this morning, beloved, is that you will leave here with the desire to forsake all self-seeking in your holy practices. And that instead, you will pursue holiness. You will pursue the best. You will pursue God instead of self-seeking in what we do. Just to remind you where we've been, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Matthew, so let me just kind of reorient you where we are. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. And you may remember when uh, Jesus was tempted, we we talked about that that is really teaching us, asking us the question, what kingdom are we going to be loyal to? Are we gonna be loyal to Christ and his kingdom? Or remember Satan, the temptation was, is that you can throw yourself off this building and I can give you the world right now. The ultimate idea was, are you gonna be loyal to Christ our king or are you gonna be loyal to what, you want our own little kingdoms. And then we've been talking about the disciples' life. And as we went through chapter five, we talked about those core characteristics of a disciple's life. We talked about our core responsibilities, and then in a very quick manner, Now I know some of you say, well, was it that quick? Well, it was one sermon, so it was pretty quick. Granted, a long one, but it was one sermon. And, um, and we talked about those, those corrections, that when you are following morality in your life, morality goes deeper than just the things you don't do. Morality is all about the heart. It must come from a heart that is changed. And Jesus ended that section by saying, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, the righteousness, the moral righteousness that God demands is perfection. And if you do not have that, then remember, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the most holy examples that you can think of, then you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We need the righteousness of Christ placed on us if we are going to be, be his children. That is the only standard that God will accept. And so we saw that is true in morality, but now we're in chapter six, we are gonna see that that is also true in the pursuit of holiness. In verse one, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness, and you can understand that as your righteous deeds Beware of practicing your righteous deeds before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now you say, well, wait a minute. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men so that others may see your good works and glorify your God which is in heaven, So which is it? Do we let our light shine before men so they can see our good works? Or do we beware of practicing your righteousness before other people? Which one is it? Are we supposed to do it privately or are we supposed to let others see it? Well, I think the answer is right here in the text. Because he says, first of all, he doesn't say, absolutely do not practice your righteous deeds before other people. He says to be careful. Take heed beware of doing that. Why? What's the point? Because he says, in order to be seen by them. In other words, do not practice your holy practices, your spiritual disciplines in a way that will get you the attention that will get, make people look at you and say, wow, that will make people look at you and think, wow, he is such a holy individual. I want to be like him. No, 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 no. The goal, Paul says, follow me so that you can be like me, right? No, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. The point is that others when they see us, we will lead them and we will show them the example of Christ not to be like us. And so Jesus is going to give three examples of what he's talking about here. And he didn't choose these by accident. They are the three most holy practices in Jewish life. And that is almsgiving, that is prayer, and that is fasting. And every Jew who was devout, every Jew that was holy understood that these were the three pillars of holiness in the life of a devout person. And Jesus is telling them, look, It is not about simply doing these things. It's not about reading your Bible so you can check a mark off your list for the day. It's not about just going through your little checklist so you can make sure everything gets right. It's not just a matter of what I don't do that is coming from the right place in my heart, but it is also a matter of what I do. And what I do for God to pursue God must also be coming from a changed heart. Only a changed heart, only a heart that is, that is born by the Spirit will be a heart that can glorify God the Father. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, only that is Spirit. Spirit. And so this first example we're gonna look at this morning, the disciple, if we are going to cultivate and pursue genuine holiness in our life, one of the things we must do, the first example we have is that you must cultivate genuine generosity. Genuine generosity. And again, these three, it's not, it's not exhausted in these three. We could say some of these things about just about every spiritual practice you could give. Going to church, Fasting, praying, journaling, you know, worshiping, singing, whatever you want to do, these same principles apply. But Jesus is going to use the three examples of generosity, prayer, and fasting. And so that's what we're going to use as we go through this text. And so, generosity how can we cultivate genuine generosity in our lives? How can we pursue holiness in our generosity? And Christ is going to give us two instructions in the next three verses. They are to avoid attention-getting, and they are to cultivate humility. Avoid attention-getting and cultivate humility. So you ready? Let's go. Verse two, the first thing we must do is avoid attention-getting. Avoid attention-getting behavior. Look what Jesus says here in verse two. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Now, some people for years have tried to kind of figure out, okay, what trumpets is Jesus talking about here? Uh, there's one view that says that the coin coffers in the temple were kind of shaped like trumpets and they were of a certain metal that when you put coins in, it it would kind of ring across the yard. And, and so obviously the more coins you threw in there, the more it would ring, the louder it was. Some people suggest that. Some people suggest that there were actually big trumpets that were, that were blown whenever they saw that someone gave a big donation to the temple and they would, they would sound the trumpets and, and some people try to To suggest that, older teachers especially. You know, more than likely though, I don't really think that Jesus is being literal here. I think he's just simply saying, look, when you give to the needy, don't call attention to yourself. I think that's really just what he's saying here. I don't think he's really pointing to something literal that happened, but he's just simply saying, don't call attention to yourself. When you're giving, just simply do it and don't worry about who sees you and who doesn't. You say, well, well, who would do something like that? Well, he tells us. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Hypocrites do things like that. You know, and we use that word all the time and it means actor. It's a theatrical faith, you might say. But the way that Jesus uses it here, I think is a little different than what we normally think of when we think of a hypocrite. Because when you think of a hypocrite, you think of someone who is insincere, that they have kind of a hidden agenda, you know, and, and they, they, are, they are really not people who they pretend to be, but then they come to church and they're all like holy and righteous and all that kind of stuff. That's what we tend to think of when we think of hypocrites, but that's really not what Jesus is referring to here. Because think about the Pharisees for a moment. Think about the religious leaders they did give to the poor. They did pray often. And they did fast twice a week. They did these things. And so they were not deceiving in that sense. That's not exactly what was going on here. Where's the hypocrisy? You see, when they practiced the generosity and got the attention and received all the accolades of the people, they misunderstood what was happening because they thought that all of the accolades and the applause they got was evidence of God's approval. They thought that the more attention they got and the more people that praised them, that was evidence that God was shining upon them. It wasn't that they were deceiving, it's that they were self-deceived. And there's a, there is a kind of hypocrisy that is subtle and dangerous that fools ourselves and makes us blind to our own hearts. Is there not? We do that all the time. They believe that by doing right, the praises and tension they got from others was God's blessing on them. It was a deadly miscalculation. Deadly miscalculation. And then they and did they deceive a lot of people? Yes, they did. They thought of the scribes and Pharisees as the holiest people on earth. But you know who was most deceived? Themselves. Themselves. And so look at how Jesus follows it up. He follows it up with a very strong warning. He says, truly, amen truly, I I tell you this. I am saying this to you. Listen to me. They have received their reward. You know, that word reward is actually a commercial term. It's the word that's used, receipt. And when you pay for something in the marketplace and you get a receipt, what does that mean? You're paid in full, right? We got a we got, a, uh, we got a receipt for our final payment for the, uh, for the work that was done outside. And I believe they literally wrote on it, paid in full. And beloved, when you are practicing your faith in a way to be seen by others, and they notice you, you are paid in full, and there is nothing else coming your way. You are paid in full, The admiration and respect that the religious leaders got from the people, all of that that you may be getting from all the crowds, how they're applauding you, you may think that that is evidence of God's blessing, that is all you're getting. There's nothing else coming. Don't think that just because you are pleased and satisfied with your faith that God is. Don't ever make that miscalculation. Kind of reminds me of a, of a film that my youth group watched when we were kids. Maybe you've seen it. It was, it was a 1980s Christian film. That, um, so you can imagine what kind of quality this film had. It was, it was pretty cheesy like most 1980s uh, Christian films were. But, uh, but it was called Super Christian. And it was about a mild-mannered Christian named Clark Kant. And whenever Clark Kent was uh, riding down the road, he was waiting in a stoplight, yelling out the window, "Hey, it's not going to get any greener!" and and he's doing all of this other stuff and being rude to people and all that. But then Sunday came along, and Clark Kent cast off his mild mannered approach to life, and he put on a tux, and he went to church. And he went to church and, and he taught the Sunday school lesson and he explained to the preacher. He explained the sermon to the preacher. He taught the lesson to the Sunday school teacher. And my favorite part is when the offering came around, he, uh, he, he his entire offering he had made into one dollar bills. And whenever the offering came to him, he would take one bill at a time. and everybody is looking at him going, ooh, ah, wow. I mean, he had everybody's attention, and we laugh at that because it's so ridiculous, right? I mean, nobody would actually think of sounding a trumpet or doing stuff like that to get attention, right? No, of course not. That's ridiculous, But aren't there more subtle ways that we do that? Aren't there other ways that we try to bring attention to ourselves when we're doing something? Haven't we all done this? Making sure that our name is called out or making sure that our name is in the bulletin. That we're thanked or on a donor list or that our name gets put on the side of the building or whatever. Finding ways to slip something we've done into a conversation that we're having with someone else, not even part of the conversation, but you manage to kind of weasel it in, you know? Or maybe you've done this before this is how subtle it can be. Have you ever made sure everybody in the room makes sure that they know that you don't want credit for something you just did? Ever done that before? I've caught myself doing that. Making sure, oh, I don't want credit for this, brother. I just want it all to go to the Lord. (laughs) Make sure that everybody hears, you know. That's all you get. That's all you get. That's why it's so dangerous, beloved. Because it's effective. You see, this is so dangerous, self-seeking in this way. Is so dangerous, not because it doesn't work, but because it does. If you are self seeking and trying to get others' attention to notice you, it will work. People will notice you. It is effective, it is hellishly effective. it will work until it doesn't and just like all other idols it will betray you it will take away from you in this life or the next so how are we to avoid attention getting let's let's look at our hearts for a moment Beloved, what payoff do you hope to get from the things you do in church? What payoff are you hoping to receive by doing the things you do for the Lord? What do you hope to gain? The scriptures reveal that our heart motivations are just as important as the things that we do, if not more important. Our obedience, worship, and holiness, all of those things, the motivations from where they come from are what matters. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, look what he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Who are you seeking to please is the one whom you are worshiping. And the one whom you are worshiping is the one from whom you will get your reward. If you're seeking to please men, if you're adamant about Everybody seeing, if you're posting on Facebook, every, every devotion, every day that you have. Walk up to someone, brother, mm. you know, they always get that mm, in there. I was on my third quiet time today. You're just like, you win. <laughs> you're holier than me. <laughs> so, beloved, are you doing that for the Lord? are you doing that to get attention for yourself? It works. You'll get it. Am I gaining my self-validity in others' impressions of me? Now the problem is, is that everything we do shepherds our hearts, cultivates our hearts. And if you are cultivating your heart to find your validity in what other people think of you, Mark my words, that is going to betray you. That is going to fall short. The more you do that, the more we cultivate our hearts by gaining our self-validity and others' impressions, your heart will be conditioned and shaped after the object of your affection. And if it's other people's impressions, if it's other people's praises that you love, your heart will be shaped like that and you will fall into this deadly miscalculation that the Pharisees fell into, that you will have all of these good things happening in life and you will interpret them as the blessings of the Lord when in reality, that's all you get. And there's nothing else coming from God or for anyone Why would you trade the best steakhouse in town for a hamburger from Arby's? They don't even make hamburgers. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And so what do we need to do? Let's look at Jesus's correction here. We must avoid attention getting. So how can we change this? We need to cultivate humility. Humility. We need to cultivate humility. He says here in verse three, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, I want you to notice, and you've heard this before, Jesus says when you give to the needy, not if, the action is not the problem okay? The action is not the problem. It's not necessarily that giving is bad. Obviously it's not. Jesus commands us to be generous. He commands us to have a loose grip on the things of this world. He commands us to make sure that we're not holding things too tight, not just on money, but on all of our possessions. Even our very lives don't hold on to it too tight, Keep a loose grip on these things. He talks about, in this case, he's talking about sacrificial generosity. And by sacrificial, we don't mean that we are giving sacrificially, even though the Bible does teach that. We ought to give sacrificially. But here, the sacrifice that we're making is that we are ensuring that what we give and what we do is to the praise of God and that we are not receiving it ourselves. It's eliminating as much temptation as possible, and it's not always possible But we are eliminating as much temptation as possible to make sure that it is about God and not about ourselves. As much as we can. Secrecy is not always possible. Okay? It's not just because of circumstances. It's, and, and I don't even know that secrecy is necessarily the issue here. You see, because Jesus, again, back in Matthew 5, he said, let your lights shine before men so that they may see your good works." So I don't know that secrecy, even though he does, it here, he does say it here in verse four, I don't know that secrecy is really the, the biggest concern here, but the concern is focus. What are we focused on when we are giving? Or what are we focused? focused on when we are serving? What are we focused on? You know, he has this little word picture, don't let your right hand know what your, or don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I remember I had a $100 bill in my wallet one time, and, and uh, there's just something very comforting about that, you know, and I have kind of a poor man's mentality, and, and there was something I wanted, and it was like 80 bucks, and, but I really liked having the $100 bill in my pocket, and so I finally taught myself into buying it. And I mean, and it's like, you're just, you're, it's like you're letting go of a best friend. You know, it's like, it's like, bye, Ben. <laughs> I just hope I'll see you again one day. You know, Ben is gone. Benjamin's gone. He's not coming back. And it's a painful separation, you know, and what was I doing? Boy, I was watching when, when I hand over that hundred dollar bill and that, uh, I mean, and more, it felt like it was more grabby than the Walmart cash receiver and the automatic thing, you know. I mean, you put it in there and it, it just takes it, you know. And, and you're just watching your hand and just watching it leave. The idea here is focus. How do we not know what our how do we not know what our left hand back up? How do we how do we not allow our left hand to know what our right hand is doing? Because I'm not watching my hands at all. You see, it's not, see what's what Jesus is getting at here, in other words, you're not focused on what your hand is doing, you're focused on who your heart is loving. And you're not focused on what your hand is doing. You're focused on who you are worshiping. That's the issue. That's the focus here. Do everything we can to ensure that when you are seeking God's glory and not your own, how can I do that? Well, here's an example. Let me just give you a real life example here. You get an idea in your mind that you wanna do something nice for somebody in the church. You see a need and you decide, I have the ability to meet that need and so I'm going to do it, okay? Let me ask you a question. What reaction do you imagine in your mind when you think about doing that? When you kind of picture yourself giving this uh, help to this individual, or doing something nice to this individual, or sending flowers to this individual, or visiting this individual in the hospital. When you, uh, when you envision doing that in your mind, let me ask you a question. What do you envision the reaction to be? Do you, do you think about that this person is going to use your gift and thank God and praise God for it because it came at just the right time and it's exactly what they needed? Or do you imagine all the things they're gonna say about you and how great you are to other people? Which one do you think of? Which one do you think of? Maybe sometimes you even have a little script going in your head about what so-and-so, oh, Randy was so, I'm so thankful for Randy. Would you believe what he did for me? Wow. I'm just puffing myself up as I go through this script more and more and more. Beloved, how do, we, how do we do this? If you are thinking of doing something for someone and the script going through your head is that they are praising God and thanking God and, and, and just worshiping God because of what you've done, then you know what? It's not absolutely necessary for you to be absolute secret about that. But if you are thinking in your mind that, oh, this person is gonna, is gonna talk well about me to others, they're going to say great things about me, I'm not saying don't do it, but you need to keep it as secret as possible. Make every, every intention, every effort to make it as anonymous as you can. That's how you do this. What are you thinking about what this person will say to others? Are you thinking about how you might work it into a conversation with someone else? Are you thinking about how you hope that your name gets on the bulletin or on the side of a building or something because of doing this? If that's the case, then you need to be as anonymous as possible. And you need to avoid that temptation. If on the other hand, you're thinking about how God is going to be glorified and praised and thanked by the individual, how this might afford an opportunity to share the gospel with this person, if that's the dominant idea in your mind, an absolute secrecy is probably not that necessary. Just look what he says here. He says, Jesus says, so that your giving will be in secret. Why? Because your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Beloved, if you're going to grow in Christlikeness, if you're going to grow in, in holiness, then we must cultivate humility. We must cultivate humility. You know, in the psychological, social sciences world, we refer to this as self-awareness. But I like the word humility better because it's a biblical word. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the same thing. Be aware of what you're hoping to get. Be aware of the script going in your mind when you do something for the Lord. And whatever it is, make appropriate steps to make sure that you are avoiding as much temptation as possible. Can you remember when you were a child and your parents would offer you the nicest, choicest, best steakhouse in town? Maybe even the steak. But that didn't matter to you, did it? What did you want? You wanted the Happy Meal at McDonald's. Don't you remember your parents' threats of ruining your dinner? It didn't matter. But that didn't matter. You wanted the junk food, right? Why did you do that? Because you were a kid. Because you were immature. The problem is, is when you're 40-something and you're still doing that, that's the problem. Right? I heard that. (laughs) Why in the world are we choosing the happy meals of God's, of man's praises, over the Wagyu steak of God's reward. Why are we doing that? We're immature. Our tastes are immature. We need to cultivate better taste, cultivate humility. Don't seek to satisfy your immediate gratification of men's praises, but seek the eternal blessings of God. So beloved, seek to cultivate genuine generosity. Pursue genuine holiness in your generosity. Avoid attention getting and cultivate humility by sacrificial generosity and by gaining an eternal perspective that allows you to wait to be gratified. So what do I need in order to pursue holiness in my generosity? What do, I, what do I need this week to help me do this? Let me just give you a few suggestions. Number one, holiness in our generosity depends on our desire for Christ's reward. It depends on our desire for Christ reward. I've heard some well-meaning preachers and Christians say, you know, I'm really not concerned about rewards in heaven. I just want as many people as can can be there. And I do appreciate the heart of that statement. But let me ask you a question. What are we gonna do? All the crowns that the Bible talks about, it uses the imagery of crowns. What are we gonna do with those crowns when we're in heaven? we're going to cast them down to Christ's feet beloved rewards in heaven is not about you rewards in heaven is about Christ and a Christ-loving person will seek rewards it's not about so that it will it's not about so that you will be more glorious in heaven it's so that Christ will be glorious in heaven that's what the rewards are about so holiness and generosity depends on a desire for christ 's reward. Number two, holiness and generosity depends on a high view of Christ. It depends on a high view of christ and in Hebrews chapter eleven and don 't just write it down don 't turn there, but in hebrews eleven here 's what, here's what the author says in verses twenty four through 26. He says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with a people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why would Moses do that? Why would Moses be, choose to be mistreated with the people of God when he could have lived in the palace of Egypt? He could have had the best that the most powerful kingdom in the world had to offer. Why did he choose instead to be mistreated by uh, those very people with the people of God? He says in verse 26, because he considered the reproach of Christ better of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking for the reward. The reproach of Christ is better than the treasures of Egypt. And Beloved, even the reproach of Christ is better than the pleasures of sin. I cannot have a high view of Christ and a high view of myself at the same time. I will, if I have a high view of myself, I will choose the palace. If I have a high view of Christ, I will choose the reward. And so high view of Christ. Number three, holiness and our generosity knows that even the smallest general, even the smallest generous acts has eternal significance, Jesus says, whoever gives even one of these little ones, even a cold cup of water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Even a cold cup of water given in Jesus' name does not go without notice to our Lord. Some of you may be saying this morning, well, I can't be generous because God has not blessed me with riches. God has not blessed me with a lot. Whenever whenever I win the lottery or whatever, then I will be generous with other people. No, 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 no. Beloved, even the poorest people in the world, even the poorer of the poor can be generous. And even the smallest acts of generosity have eternal significance. And by the way, let me just praise you, Calvary Baptist Church. You have been amazingly generous. I came back from Kansas City with the cost of the... At the front of the building, I expected our general fund to be about less than $10,000. Come to find out, we've replenished our general fund about to where it was before we began because of your generosity. Amen? amen? Amen. That's, amen. Give praise to the Lord for that. So I praise you for that. And listen, it wasn't just one or two big gifts. It was a lot of small And so even the smallest acts, not even a cup of water is missed by our Lord. Eternal significance. So finally, as a direct appeal, I would encourage you. We've been talking about not doing it in front of others, but I would encourage you beware of self-congratulation. If you catch yourself doing that this week, remember the guy who... says to his soul, soul, I have earned more than I can have. My barns are full. What will I do? I will build bigger barns and I will do even more and then I will retire. Watch out for self-congratulation. Bringing it up over and over and over again in my mind so that I can puff myself up. Watch out for that. And when you catch yourself doing it, repent immediately. Replace those thoughts with thoughts of heaven's reward. Do you want to be your own biggest cheerleader or do you want God to be? Which one would you rather have? Do you want your name to be known by God and shouted by God or do you want it to be shouted by yourself because you can't have both? you can't have both. It's going to be one or the other. What is Christ's reward? It is eternal life. Eternal life. And you can have eternal life. Beloved, you can have the reward that Christ gives. He came to this earth. He he lived a perfect, righteous life. He died on the cross so that we can be forgiven of sins. And then on the la- on the third day, he rose from the grave to prove that he is the Lord and he has accomplished everything he said he would do. And then he ascended into heaven. He is on the right hand of God and he is offering himself to each and every one of us as a deliverer, as a savior from the wrath of God. And our response is that we must turn from our sins and repentance and we must place our faith in Christ alone for our salvation. And beloved, when you know the reward is coming, you can have a loose grip on everything in this life, even our own lives. We can have a loose grip on because we know that Christ has a tight grip on us. So will you come to Christ this morning? will you loosen your grip on this world and let God tighten his grip around you Father we thank you for these wonderful truths I pray that you will implant them deep in our hearts and if there's one here this morning who does not know Christ as Savior I pray that this morning will be the morning that you draw them to yourself Lord there's such an amazing generosity in this church. They have done so well, amazingly well. And Lord, I pray that we would excel even more, that we would have a loose grip on everything in this life because you have a tight grip on us. And if there's one who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they would come this morning. I am going to invite you to stand and if you are here and you want to come forward, I'm gonna ask everyone's head bowed and eye closed just as we sing uh, or just as the musicians play for just a, a few seconds, we would ask you if you're here this morning and you have a need to come. Maybe the world has too tight of a grip on your heart. Maybe you're holding your lives. Maybe you're holding yourself. Maybe you're holding your possession, your money. Maybe you've got too tight of a grip on it. Maybe you've got too tight of a grip on your time. Maybe you've got too tight of a grip on your talents, on your possessions, whatever it is. And you say, I need to loosen my grip on that so I can pursue Christ more. Be truly holy. I invite you to make that commitment this morning. If you're here this morning you don't know this Christ, you don't know this Jesus, I invite you to come.